Tonight, uh, we, we come to Mark chapter 6 in our uh, sermon series on uh, the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. And uh, as we do so, um, it's another very, very famous passage. It's the, fa- it's the passage in which Jesus walks on water. And, uh, and the question for us is, why, why does he do this? Why, why does he... Uh, come to his disciples in, in the middle of the night walking on water. And I think the, the, the answer that Mark gives is, is this. It is in the midst of our struggle and misery that Jesus most clearly reveals himself to us as our only hope and rescue. That's what I want to show you from this passage. And so to do that, let me first read for us and then we'll, we'll jump in. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, But their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. While the circumstances of this story are similar to the story that we saw back in in, in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus calms the storm, there is an important difference. And the difference is in verse 48, where Mark tells us that the disciples, they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And the word translated making headway painfully literally means to torment. The idea here is that here are seasoned fishermen out in the Sea of Galilee trying to get to the other side, and they are met with a strong headwind that is beating on them for hours. Now, if you've ever tried to row a boat against a headwind in your face, it is incredibly hard. It's exhausting. It's like being tormented. And therefore, what I want us to, to, to see in this story that's different than the one in chapter 4 is that it's not so much that disciples are in great danger here, though that's not far from where they are, like in chapter 4. Here, they're miserable. They're rowing hour after hour against a strong headwind. They're making little, if any, progress 
toward their destination. So in this case, it's not so much they're in danger, that it's that they're in misery. They're struggling. They're not making any headway. And perhaps you feel that way tonight in your own life. The wind is in your face. You're worn out. You're miserable. And whether you would consider yourself a Christian or not, God is nowhere to be found. And if so, then this passage is for you. Because it teaches us how to find comfort from Jesus in the midst of our struggles and our misery. And it does so in in, in basically three ways that I want us to see. How do we find this comfort? First of all, what we're going to learn is that we need to be honest about our own hearts. You need to be honest about your heart. Secondly, you need to begin with prayer. And then last, we need to look for how Jesus is already moving toward you. So first, let's look at how to do this by being honest about our own hearts. If you you notice here, um, despite all that the the disciples have seen, which is a lot, because if you go back to the end of chapter 4, all of through chapter 5, and into now almost all of chapter 6, it's a cycle of miracles. Profound events in the ministry of Jesus where he demonstrates his power over everything. Even from creation itself right down to life and death. And they, but yet, at the end of, or in verse 52, Mark tells us, after Jesus comes to them and gets in the boat with them, they're utterly astounded. And then he tells us, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So here we have the disciples, they don't understand. And they have hard hearts towards Jesus and what he has done and is doing. But I want you to notice there's a really interesting and and unexpected turn of phrase here when Mark says that they did not understand about the loaves. That's not what I was expecting. What I would have expected to read, they were utterly astounded because they didn't understand how we could walk on water. I mean, that's what you would expect to read. But instead, Mark says they didn't understand about the loaves. Now, what are the loaves? Well, if you you were here last week, Mark is referring us back to the miracle where Jesus feeds over 5,000 people. And the disciples here still don't understand about this miracle. And what was it that they didn't understand? Well, at the heart of that story was the compassion of Jesus. That here, what the disciples are having the hardest time understanding is his grace to helpless, desperate people who need a shepherd. They cannot yet understand their absolute need for him. However successful they may have been earlier in chapter 6 after they returned from their first journey out to continue and further Jesus' ministry. And this is significant. Grace will either do one of two things in your life. It will either harden you towards Jesus or you will be softened by it. But it will never leave you alone. You simply cannot hear about Jesus, read of his compassion, or experience it from the hands of another person, and it leave you unchanged 
Grace always leaves a mark on a person's heart. And at this point in the story, the mark that this grace has left on the disciples is one of bewilderment, misunderstanding, and even hardness of heart. And therefore, it's incredibly important for us to be honest about our hearts. Especially in the midst of trials and difficulties and misery. And why is that? Because circumstances in those situations always loom large and powerful. They're loud to the point where it drowns out even the very maneuvers of your own heart. Especially towards God. And so therefore, one of the most important and, and most significant ways for you to be honest about your own heart is to ask a very simple question. How do you feel about God? What do you believe about God? Right now today, how do you feel about Him? What do you believe about Him? And I don't mean either, just the Sunday school answers. I mean, honestly, given what you brought into this room with you, or what you have waiting for you in the coming week, what is your honest answer to that question? How do you feel about God? What do you believe about Him? You see, when when it comes to this experience of the disciples who they don't understand, and their, their heart of heart... They, listen, they, it's not hard to, to relate to them. They, they haven't had any rest yet. They've been rowing all night. And they're still trying to figure out who this Jesus is. But what I want you to see here is the way to be honest about your heart is that you need to ask yourself this question. And you need to realize that no matter what the answers are that you come up with, however maybe hard to admit or scary to admit, It's an opportunity. You see, because if you don't ask that question, if you're not honest about what you really think and feel and believe about God, you will actually, you will actually forfeit discovering the grace of God. That He can handle everything that you think and feel and believe about Him, especially the things that are Against him. He can handle all of the anger, all of the fear, all of the insecurity, all of the hardness. He's not surprised by that. And therefore, being honest about your own heart is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow in a relationship with God in ways that perhaps you never have. But it begins first by being honest about your own heart. And like I said, it's not hard to relate to the disciples here in the story. They they, they haven't had rest. They've been rowing for hours. Not to mention the fact that, like them, we all would cry out in terror if we're rowing in the middle of the night and someone comes walking on the water to us. That would be a terrifying sight in its own right. So if we need to be honest about our hearts, where are we supposed to begin? We need to begin... With prayer. Look in verse 46. After Jesus has 
uh, ushered his disciples to get into a boat after this miracle of feeding the 5,000 uh, to send them off to Bethsaida. And after he dismisses the crowd, in verse 46, Mark tells us he went up on the mountain to pray. Now, you need to know that there are only three times in Mark's gospel where he actually describes Jesus as going away alone to pray. The first one is in chapter 1, verse 35. The second one is this passage right here. And the third one is in Mark chapter 14. This is prayer in Gethsemane, right before he is betrayed. And it's reasonable, I think, for us in general... You know, Mark doesn't tell us the first two times, well, what did Jesus pray about? I would love to have heard. I wish Mark would have told us, what did Jesus pray for? But he doesn't. He just says he went up on a mountain and he prayed. But in the third prayer, in Mark chapter 14, he actually does record what Jesus prayed. And this is what we read. Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, Jesus' prayers, which I think we can take from that prayer in chapter 14, as a template that probably shaped all of his prayers throughout his entire ministry. That Jesus' prayers were prayers of intimacy. He would call upon God as his Father, Abba, Father. He's a place of safety, of refuge. That they were prayers of trust. All things are possible for you. But it's also a prayer for help. Remove this cup. Help me in this calling that you have given me. But also, and lastly, it's a prayer of humble submission. Not what I will, but what you will. Now, why did he need to pray that? He needed to pray that. For the same reason that we do. You see, you see, I think it's easy for us to think of Jesus as not having uh, a struggle. Of it somehow was easier for him. But you see, the moment we make that move, we really do miss that Jesus, he understood what it was like to go through misery. To go through hardship and trial. It wasn't easier for him. He was tempted in every way that you and I are, yet without sin. This is the the profound mystery of how the Bible describes Jesus as both fully God and fully man at the same time. See, Jesus, he needed to pray that for the same reasons that we do. And he shows us by praying, by beginning with prayer, how... To take our feelings and our beliefs and our thoughts about God directly to God, especially in the face of trial. Now, why is it then so important for not only for Jesus to begin with prayer, but for us to begin with prayer? Why would Jesus need to take time like this by himself to go off and pray? And the reason is because he has come to do his father's will. And his father's will would take him to the cross. And at the very heart of what he was called to do, he was called to make the invisible God visible. That's what he came to do. 
And so you see, when we begin with prayer, that's what we are called into. We begin with prayer because we need to remember, we need help to see and to believe that Jesus, He is the invisible God made visible. And He understands, He has walked where you and I walk, even to the cross. That's what He needed help to do. And it's what we need help to see and believe. So what if you do begin with prayer? What if you do go to God with uh, what you feel and believe about Him and you're honest about your own heart? What can you expect to find? What I want to show you thirdly here is that you will find a God of compassion who always moves towards the weak, the helpless, the struggling, and he does that especially in Jesus. So we, we need to begin with being honest about our own hearts, and then we need to begin with prayer. But lastly, we need to look then for how Jesus is already moving towards you. I want you to see there are basically four ways that Jesus does this. Look with me here verse first in verse 48. Mark tells us that he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. The first way in which we need to see Jesus moving towards us is that he actually, he sees your struggle. He sees your misery, your hardship, your trial. I couldn't help but remember here Psalm 139 in verse 3, which reads, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. That's Jesus here in this story. He sees his disciples. He is fully acquainted with all of their ways, their exact situation. And then later in Psalm 139, it's especially appropriate given the story that we're looking at here, we read that even the darkness is not dark to you. That the darkness that the disciples are in, they're in the the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the middle of the night, and Jesus sees them. The first way he moves towards them is he sees our struggle and our misery. But then the second one, he doesn't just see, he doesn't just take notice, but he acts on what he sees. Look again in verse 48. He came to them walking on the water. Jesus walks on water here. And, And he comes to them in the middle of the night after they've been toiling away, or they've been trying to make their way to the best side, it's not working, they're off course, Jesus comes to them, he comes to them walking on water. And I think for most of us, we hear that and, and that's about as, maybe as far as we, we take it. But what Mark is doing here is he's helping us to see something about Jesus. How Jesus reveals himself to us in the midst of our struggle and our trial. Because this, this language here of Jesus walking on water, it, it, it takes us back to the Old Testament. There's only one person in the Old Testament who can walk on water, and that was God. You can see this in Psalm 77. And the point that Mark is making here is that Jesus walks only where God can walk. And I think we also need to see in that that Jesus coming to the disciples in the midst of their struggle and their misery, walking on water means 
There is no struggle, there is no trial, there is no misery that will keep God from coming to you. Here is Jesus walking where only God can walk, coming to his disciples. And then Mark tells us that Jesus meant to pass by them. A very odd phrase. But also takes us back to the Old Testament. And it's a phrase where this idea of God passing by. Every time it's used in the Old Testament, it's an, it's an occasion where God reveals himself. And most significantly, one of the most significant examples is in Exodus chapter 33, where Moses, pleading with God to reveal himself, to show himself to Moses, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. Do you see what God said there to Moses? I I will pass before you. I will make all my goodness pass before you. What do we have here? All of God's goodness and the person of his son passing by the disciples, walking on water. That here Jesus is God in the flesh, revealing the invisible God to his disciples in their struggle. And the closest idea that we have to this actually is in Job chapter 9, which we read earlier, where both of these ideas are brought together of God walking on the water and passing by. Job chapter 9, we read, God alone stretches out the heavens and tramples on the waves of the sea. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. I think it's interesting that that's in Job, which is the story of suffering in the Bible. And here Jesus, he comes to his disciples and as it were, almost passes them by. The disciples are terrified. They see him. They think he's a ghost. They cry out. And Jesus, he here, is making the mystery of God visible to them. But not only does Jesus see and act in coming to them, he also speaks to them. After they have cried out in terror, Jesus immediately says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And again, here Mark uses this phrase, I am, it is I. It's the exact same way of, of that God describes himself, the name he used for, uses for himself when he appears to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He says, I am, I am. That is the name for God. And God gives that name to Moses Right before he sends Moses and God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. It's a a name of redemption, of rescue. And not only here does Jesus bear God's name and walks where God walks and reveals God to his disciples. Notice what happens here. Verse 51, he got into the boat with them. I think this is probably the most striking part, especially when we have in mind the words of Job that describe God as passing by. I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. That's the disciples. 
in this story. Maybe that's you tonight. But what I want you to see, the good news of this story, Jesus doesn't pass them by. He gets in the boat. Or to put it slightly different, he gets into their vessel of misery. That's the good news of, of, of the gospel. In its big picture, Jesus gets into your vessel of misery, your life, as you experience it. See, Jesus here, he enters in, he doesn't pass by. He sees, he comes, he speaks to your fear, and he sits down right next to you in the midst of it. And Mark tells us, the wind ceased. You see, how do you experience the calm that Jesus brings? You need to see here, you experience the calm that Jesus brings when you invite him into your vessel, into your life. You know, it's even better than that because here Jesus doesn't wait for you to do that. He doesn't wait for the disciples to do that. Here, Jesus, he gets into the boat with hard-hearted disciples. The people you would think would most understand who he is. That's really, really good news. Because my guess is if you're honest about your own heart, it's not a pretty picture. But do you see, Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples He has come to step into your life. To bring you the calm that only his death and resurrection can bring. Now, you see, here's what happens. Here's what we see here. Heaven and earth are overlapping for the disciples. On the cross, heaven and earth overlap in the midst of Jesus' horrible, unjust suffering and death. The good news about that for you is that no matter who you are or what you're going through, the cross of Jesus Christ always preaches to you that where suffering and trial and misery are in your life, heaven and earth can overlap right there because of what Jesus did on the cross so that you can be sure You will never be left alone. You always have, by faith, at your fingertips, the comfort that Jesus brings. So, if you're here and you feel your heart is hard, you're not alone. You see, your experience is written right into the pages of the story. And if you're here and you're struggling and you're miserable with the wind blowing in your face and you're exhausted and you're afraid, you're not alone. Your experience is written right into the pages of this story too. Now, why? Why is that so important? Why are our experiences written right into the story of the Bible? It's so that you might both find comfort from Jesus from being honest about your own heart, through praying to Him, 
and thereby seeing how he is already moving toward you in the midst of your life, right here and now, even tonight. Jesus has come to bring comfort where we most need it, even when we can't see him. He's come to step right into your life, to get into your boat with you. And that's really, really good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the story. Uh, it's a powerful story. It reveals what you are like and the lengths to which you are willing to go to reveal to us that you see us, that you come to us, that you will speak to us, and that you will actually sit right down next to us. And we pray that you would work this story out into our lives. That it would be good news to, to each of us, wherever we find ourselves. And we pray that you would help us to trust in Jesus. To find in him our refuge, our joy, our comfort. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.